0: again into the soccer OG. Hey, folks, that's me, Max Brentos. This is episode 156. As always, a gentle, gentle reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend about our little podcast here that's listened to all over the planet. I would like to do this in multiple languages. And I appreciate all that listening, too. However, this week's show will be very CONCACAF-heavy. As the completion of the Nations League, where we saw a triumphant, resurgent U.S. men's national team take CONCACAF by the scruff of the neck and uh, let everyone know uh, you're playing for second. If you're not first, you're last. Essentially, a little Ricky Bobby U.S. perspective. The ugly American, if you will. It wasn't that ugly, but the games certainly were. With that in mind, I'm going to bring back Sam Stokes of Yank Report. We'll talk about the U.S. performance. And then we'll talk Mexico with Maricio Pedrosa of ESPN Deportes. Equal opportunity. I was going to reach out to Christian Jack of Canada. I'll save that for another week uh, because we have so much time. And uh, we have a lot of shows to get forward to in the weeks ahead. So we'll save it. We're thinking about you, Canada. We're sorry about that. Uh, Your time will come, but there's some work to do. We know about a faulty federation. Uh, you got to work on that as well. A reminder to check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. Um, You'll see all the videos I've posted there, including a recap of the USA-Canada game from Sunday. And check out the entire Soccer OG podcast library while you're at it. you got a little free time? Listen to me and my wonderful guests. The Soccer OG starts right now. Welcome back there was a lot of soccer all over the planet to talk about so we don't have to stay in our CONCACAF vacuum we had qualifying for euro 2024 that's right 2024 that's going to be here next summer at the copa america too uh, the gold cup is going to be part of that qualification process for the copa america so that's uh important we have african cup of nations qualifying uh, a bunch of friendlies everywhere but uh, there were some interesting results, certainly, to keep an eye on. I think of the Euros in particular. But well, let's start with the Nations League final from Europe. We'll talk about the CONCACAF uh, Nations League here shortly. But you had Spain beat Croatia in penalties. Spain under new management. A very different approach. They didn't kill you with possession. And they were so clinical in the uh, penalty shootout. Uh, Unai Simon making a couple saves. Every kick that... Spain took was good. Even the Laporte one, which hit the crossbar, was hit with some vigor. So Spain has been very impressive. And, man, wouldn't it be great to see a Spain-USA game if they could squeeze in another fixture? You know, Nation League winners going head-to-head. I don't, I'm don't. also impressed with Croatia, man. I mean, they're pecking around, missing out on trophies. World Cup final, World Cup semifinal, and now they uh, reach the Nations League final. This is a... It's really impressive, and it, it feels like that country, you could label them, other than the Netherlands, the best country not to win a major competition, and I believe that they're going to win a major one because they've kind of gone through this generation. I mean, the last member is Luka Modric, and he's probably in his, I mean, we'll see if he can make the next World Cup. He'll make the next Euros, but even when he's gone, I mean, there's so much talent coming out of Croatia. They have the pipeline on full bore. I mean, they did, Josic, uh, Jose, uh, uh Guardiola didn't even play in this competition. Their best young player couldn't recover from injury. But they have, you know, uh, so many good midfielders playing in top leagues. Kovacic, Brozovic, uh, Perisic was dangerous. And Croatia's going to win something, man. They've just been popping around the top so long. And uh, it's great to see. I mean, they are a top team. So the Netherlands, the best team never to win a, world, a major competition. And uh, Croatia right behind them. And I think the Krauts might beat the Dutch. We have uh, a lot of Euro qualifying going on. We're all sitting here hoping to see Erling Holland and Norway in a major competition. But I'm curious if we will that'll ever happen. Norway are not even close. They're not even close to qualifying. They were playing Scotland. They were up a goal. Erling Holland scores a penalty. He leaves. Last six minutes, Scotland scored twice. Scotland have won three out of three in that group there at nine points in Group A. Georgia's got four. Spain's got three. They have a game to play because they were playing Nations League final. And then Norway with one point. They're done. They're not going to go to the Euros. There are 10 teams. There's 10 groups. And the top two teams qualify for the Euros. And then you get some playoffs. They're not going to finish in the top two. Maybe they finish third. Unless Spain just fall apart. But I don't think that's going to happen based on what they just did. So... I don't know, man. And the World Cup qualifying is going to be harder for Norway. This is the more forgiving qualification, right? They got a pretty favorable group. They should be better than Scotland. They had Scotland beat, and they blew it. They should be better than Georgia. Maybe not Spain, but all you have to do is finish second. So a real disappointing uh, performance there. We're here in Major League Soccer. I was in New York. Forgive my voice. I've been lit on to the weather and the travel and uh, the actual weather in California, which I probably told you last week has been so unforgiving. There is no sunshine, and it's messing me up. I feel good. I feel good. I just feel, uh, feel a little Barry White here. I feel like Michael Cade after a cigar and a brandy. And it, it's got the it back of my phone. It was only supposed to be blow the bloody door down. This is a detonator to an atom bum. That's from uh, The Trip with Steve Coogan. And it gets very deep, and we get very matter-of-factly indeed. I do. i got that Michael Kango. going. I should should run with it a little bit. Hello. My name is Michael Caine. Okay, let's get back on the rails here. Uh, Group D. Well, that voice is... I'm kind of really digging it. Group D. So we're doing MLS. I was doing New York City FC and Columbus. And Argentine playmaker Lucas El Arelland, who had the goal of the season, although it may have been topped this past weekend by Pablo Ruiz of Real Salt Lake... Uh, I forgot that he played for the Armenian national team. And Armenia, which has a huge you know, expat contingency, certainly here in Los Angeles, we love our Armenian community. They're a great part of the city. They haven't played in a major competition, but right now in Group D, ironically behind Turkey, <laughs> who have nine points, Armenia six, Croatia four, they have a game in hand, Wales four, Latvia zero. Only have to finish in the top two. Could they keep the Croats out? But they went to Wales, Wales who made the World Cup, who made a Euro semi-final back in what 2016. They they beat Wales away in Cardiff, and then they beat Latvia. So a six point window. I'm polling for Armenia. I certainly hope that they are able to uh that's a tough group, though. That's much tougher than Norway's group. Turkey and Croatia. I mean Turkey is the country that uh I think is failed the worst on the world stage so many such a big population soccer craze and you know we we criticize nigeria and and mexico uh but you know t- turkey should be there it's a huge country and uh they should make they should qualify for everything and at least make a deep run i know they made the o2 world cup semis but that felt a long long time ago because it was so uh was have been good uh, working at LAFC you're excited about the international players coming back denny buango was with gabon I know they lost their games, hopefully. Uh, he can get back on the rails here. We have, uh, we're have. we going to preview the Gold Cup. It starts June 24th, which is in a couple days here. And um, uh, we'll save that for another day. Uh, we also have the Women's World Cup starting very soon, just a few weeks away from that. Some bad news for the U.S. Becky Sauerbrunn. The captain, the star defender, is out. You feel terrible for her. Um, I wonder if if, if it wasn't the worst thing, though, for the U.S. to get a little younger. I mean, there's so many players. in The the women's game is going to turn out to be the men's game. When you get the depth of talent, and that's happening right now, where you're not going to be able to play until you're 36, 37, 38. The younger players are going to get you. Right now, that's around 33, 34 for the men's game. There are some outliers, but you don't go beyond that. The women's game, if if you're good, you can get to 36, 37, 38. But it shouldn't be that way. Sauerbrunn is an outlier and has been very good. Marta of Brazil's coming back for another World Cup. She's 37. Uh, I'm always there to give the, the young players uh, the chance, and I feel terrible for Becky, uh, but it's it's it gives another person an opportunity, and I think the U.S. might be better served by that. I'm not trying to you know because I'm, I'm playing for the U.S. and I want their best possible team, but who knows? Who knows? We have we're not going to have stoppage time this week. We're going to have two business ends. <laughs> we're going to have Sam Stokes of the Yank Report coming up here shortly. And then we're going to speak to uh, Maricio Pedrosa of ESPN Deportes, Football Americas, and so many other shows about what happened to Mexico. The news today that Diego Coca got fired. Um, no surprise. I kind of called it after the game, not because he deserved to be fired, but everything about Mexico was bad. The, uh, the way they played... The, uh, the attitudes of the players, the attitudes of the supporters who wanted uh, a head. You know, they wanted a sacrificial lamb. They got one in Diego Coca. And Mexico is in, in major peril. Um, and it, it kind of brings to me this point I want to talk about, the CONCACAF Nations League, before we get into my guests. And we saw it when Mexico lost to the United States. The overall interest in that stadium dropped. The semifinal with USA-Mexico was a packed house the final between USA and Canada, uh, probably 25,000 people in there in what, a 65,000-seat stadium, um, in Allegiant Stadium. So we need Mexico to be good because uh, the profitability of these games drops significantly. So, I mean, I know we're all enjoying that happening right now, but we need Mexico to uh, carry their weight in CONCACAF moving forward. We'll see how they do that. Because... I don't know if we can carry the weight. This was amazing what we saw on uh, Thursday against Mexico and then Sunday against Canada. The U.S. not just winning these games, but dominating. Both of these games were essentially over at halftime. I mean, when's the last time we've said that about a U.S. team? Never threatened. They They got hold of this game and never let go. Everyone played well. I mean, not everyone was spectacular, but you had seven or eight incredible performances. We have seen this group grow together. They're an interesting group of players. Their paths also different, coming from Texas or Alabama or New Jersey or New York. Uh, it was, it was truly or or, or a couple of players that grew up in England. They're all part of it. They're all interesting. So I tweeted after and look, I, I, the USSF appointing Greg Berhalter. I'm not crazy about it, but I'm glad we can move forward because. Um, we've got to talk about the performance and the, and the team itself. It was breathtaking. Uh, they didn't handle that well. And as I said last week, I believe the players were probably told they were going to hire Jesse Marsh and they said, no. And they said, we want Greg Berhalter. Uh, they, they kicked the tires on a few other candidates and they said, look, this, this Greg Berhalter admiration is so thorough that, uh, Why are we going to get cute and appoint someone that's going to just upset that player base? That's what I thought it was. I've been seeing everything about Greg Berhalter. Some of the criticism is fair. Um, He is very rigid. He's going to have to change the way his tactics are. But I also saw some absurd things. And it it was just their lies and stupidity. I saw somebody with a post of Greg Berhalter's face and the other face was Adolf Hitler. I mean, really... Unsavory, awful things. People repeating the same things over and over again. They don't even know what it means. I had an argument, and I'm getting a little off topic here, I'll get back. And he's a good friend of mine, Hercules Gomez, but he likes to wind me up, and I like to wind him up because we are very, we have different uh, uh, approaches. We agree on a few things, but I mean, he goes, I think we go way off the extreme sometime. So I tweeted that Ricardo Pepe was the latest player to approve of the U.S bringing in Greg Berhalter. And then everybody came at me and said, what do you expect him to say? He wants to play. He wants to play. Of course he's going to say that. And I go, listen, there's thousands of ways or thousands of ways to approach what you say. These coaches aren't malicious. They're not here to um, teach you a lesson. I mean, it is their way or the highway. I mean, you have to abide by that. But they're not here to crush you. Um, Ricardo Pepi is not the first player ever to not to be snubbed for a World Cup. This has been happening back since 1929, ahead of the 1930 World Cup. Guys have been snubbed. There's been malice behind some, not all of them. It wasn't certainly towards Ricardo Pepe. Greg Berhalter gave Ricardo Pepe his first chance. He thought that he had better options. I think we all agree that Pepe should have been on that World Cup squad, but Greg Berhalter, at the end, thought he had better options, and he went with them. Uh, we can't live in hindsight. We can't say if Ricardo Pepe was there and Gio Reina played more that the U.S. would have won the World Cup. We can't. It's not it. it we, that is a pointless argument. Maybe they could. I doubt it, but maybe they could. Uh, it is whatever Ricardo Pepe says, he's gonna get the respect of the coach. And he's not gonna get blacklisted because he goes, I can't believe you don't. Hey, well, you don't come out and say, well, I can't believe they hired Greg Berhalter. But you could say well, you know, I, I know it didn't end up great, but uh, I'm willing to get back in there and see what it's like. Uh, let's talk to Greg Berhalter. I mean, there's so many avenues. You could just say no comment. I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. We'll we'll see how it goes. You know, Joe Scali's in the U.S. men's national team outfit, and he, had, he was on Football Americas, and he said he took a, a veiled shot at Greg Berhalter. Yet he gets called in and plays good minutes. Yeah, I know Greg Berhalter's not in charge, but B.J. Callahan was an assistant. Anthony Hudson was his assistant. So there's still that Greg Berhalter umbrella behind this. And those guys talk to each other. He didn't get blacklisted. Guys aren't going to get blacklisted. Guys get snubbed for the World Cup. Coaches feel terrible about it. I mean, there was malice behind the Landon Donovan, Jurgen Klinsman, but then, you know, there was a time when Lionel Messi didn't want to play for the national team, and there was a weird dynamic about getting him in there. Uh, it works out. If Ricardo Pepe plays well, it's going to work out for him. But let's not just... These takes... And I hate to spend money on it because I know it's a vocal minority. But the more I think about it, it's not. I went on the Greg Burhalter press conference. And they have the chat open. And the entire chat is clown emoji, clown emoji. Horrible things said about him. I go and, I, and I'm like, what did this guy exactly do to deserve this? I mean, is not it feel like a little bit overboard? If you don't like him for tactics fine. If you feel there's a better option, yeah. But I don't need these these comparisons to the worst people on the from the history of the world. It's, uh, you know, U.S. soccer, I wish it could have been different, but it ended back this way. It makes them look bad, but they're going to deal with it, and I get the feeling that is going to come in and, and look very differently. We'll talk more with Sam Stokes of Yank Report about that here shortly. Let's get back to my parting shot with what we saw In Las Vegas, USSF and its partners have failed miserably to create an excitement around this team. They don't market the players. No one knows how to watch these games. It's on a streaming service. Paramount Plus does a great job, but that game should have been on one of their linear networks. Somehow found a place for it. I pointed that out. I go, this was an amazing performance, but it feels like 95%, probably more, of the American population has no idea it's happening. And I got texts from some ESPN personalities I'm not going to mention their names and I got tweets from some of them, and they all said the same thing. I go, "We didn't know this was going on." And I go, "You missed something pretty spectacular. Why don't you know about it? Why don't people tune in for this? Americans like winners. It's not just about watching for the World Cup. These are moments people will get into. This is a huge fail to have not built this, and I hope that process happens now. Spend the money to market these really interesting players get these games on as many platforms as possible you've got maybe it's going to put you in the in the red but that's something you got to do because that to me was of the things that we perceive to be disappointing we can argue whether they're not whether they were or not I don't think there were too many disappointing things after a week like this the disappointing thing is most people had no idea this was going on that's a problem the Soccer OG rate, review, download, subscribe. We're going to go into the business end. Maricio Pedrosa coming up in a few minutes. But right now, it is Sam Stokes of Yank Report. Check him out on YouTube. We are back here for the business end. Part one is we're going to talk a little bit about L3 and a little bit with Maricio Pedrosa. But we start with... As I, I I texted him because I wanted him on the show. I was gonna go. I could go a lot of directions. I wanted the very level-headed Sam Stokes of Yank Report. Check it out on YouTube. One of the uh, one of the, the the best providers on that service. I think he's a rock star. We're gonna see a lot more from Sam. And Sam, uh, I was uh, I was following your Twitter and uh, it, I was drawn to you because we saw the uh, the utter extremes of U.S. soccer fandom and U.S. soccer play here on a day we were so much celebrating. There was. There was so much dismay about the rehire of Greg Berhalter. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but uh, just the, the space in general, navigating the space. I uh, I would say I'd preface it by saying, I think I know the rest of the world is like this where it's all over the spectrum on their, their national team, but this is very new for all of us. How, how have you uh, seen it all?
1: Oh man. You're talking about just the reaction to Greg Berhalter and sort of all the fallout from that. I mean, <sighs> It's it's not fun because not I fun. just I just don't find it interesting to talk about, honestly. Um, I think that there, there's so many interesting things to talk about with this national team because of all the players that are involved. I mean, the gold cup coming up, I think is gonna be really exciting. The U20 team that just was fantastic. There's just so many really interesting things to talk about, and just just talking about the coach every day over and over again, <laughs> and just Worrying about things that might happen, you know, it's yeah. just it's it's not my favorite thing to talk about.
0: So uh, I'm trying to we and we it. shall not talk about it. But <laughs> I was, but it was I, I I I I do this because I mentioned it earlier on the pod, you know, about how we can communicate better, and I think there's a, a place where we can get there, and I, I hope we can move it. But we saw some pretty, you know, uh, unsavory stuff in this. And I know you retweeted and I, I referenced it about uh, Paul Ariola, you know, mentioning because um, somebody mls buzz mentioned that remember when paul Ariola got injured was the reason we saw tim way and i don't think he meant it in poor uh in in poor taste but that set paul Ariola off and said yeah i remember you guys were cheering etc which not everyone was but some people were i mean it's a it's a vocal minority and i saw that and that's kind of what my impression here on monday but we'll leave it at it as is but it's out there i think we can all agree
1: yeah, I, I got a lot of opinions on that, but maybe another time.
0: <laughs> we have so much to talk about. So we'll let's put – this is – I mean, the timing of the coach hire is not ideal, but I will also say that it happened because I think Jesse Marsh agent said he's out of the running and then everything was on on offer, and people who break stories break stories as soon as they, they can. They're not going to wait regardless of what's happening to do that because you want to be first. So uh, we'll talk about that as it comes in. But this was, uh, this was remarkable, and I – I go through my memory banks, you know, I've been co- watching this team a long time and we we know where the U S came from very humble beginnings, but two games. And I know it's, it's CONCACAF and Mexico's on, on a decline right now. And they just fired their coach, but to beat them so convincingly. And then Canada, which we were, were saying this was their moment. I mean, that game was over at both. These games were over at halftime. I mean, I can't, maybe when we had that, the Confederations cup where we, we beat Spain and then lost in the final, um, was it to Brazil? Uh, but th- th- that is like a two-game stretch where you said, wow, this is above and beyond. Um, what say what say you about what we saw this past four or five days in Vegas?
1: Unbelievable. I mean, it just felt like the culmination of of just watching so many of these players grow up over the past few years and just waiting for them all to arrive at the same place um, at the same time and, and see what they can do on the field. And my goodness. I mean, the, the arrival of, uh, Falarin Balogun and what he's meant to this squad and just the pressure that it takes everybody off of everybody's shoulders, uh, seeing Gio Reyna finally healthy and finally able, uh, to be the player that we know he is, um, in that midfield, uh, just incredible. I mean, Eunice Musa coming off a not so great season in La Liga, stepping into the midfield, replacing Tyler Adams and more of that defensive midfielder role and, playing so well that people are questioning whether or not Tyler Adams is going to be <laughs> a starter in this group. I mean, he was phenomenal and that's coming off of a season where he didn't play all that much. He wasn't all that impressive. It was really disappointing. Hey, but did incredible. that surprise,
0: did that, su- sorry to interrupt, but did that surprise you could surprise me that all these players that haven't been playing much all look like they have been. I mean, they look refreshed, but Polisic, Reina, Musa, Richards, they look like they were in mid season.
1: It did surprise me. It absolutely surprised me. Chris Richards is another one that just, he gets these starts. And I mean, we saw Chris Richards in World Cup qualifying um, a a few years ago. I mean, I remember the game, I believe it was against Costa Rica where uh, he was, he was okay. You saw there was flashes there where he could be great. You hoped he could be great. Uh, He didn't play much for Crystal Palace this season. And then he comes in in these two games against Mexico and Canada and was unbelievable. I mean, the and in, in, against Canada, Chris Richards dominated the air, not just defensively, but on yeah. set pieces. I mean, he was winning absolutely everything. There was a little stretch there where, like, he won back to back headers on corner kicks or something like that. Uh, that sequence where he wins that header to Balogun's feet and Balogun has a, a point blank shot and, and doesn't put it away. I mean seeing his growth has been incredible and it's just there it's it's not just Chris Richards I mean it's up and down the lineup all these players are emerging I think there's something to be said for um having a lineup that strong that no one person has to pull all the weight yeah. um seems to be just allowing these guys to to put in this type of performance where I mean you look at that Canada game and there's certain guys who who you can take a look at and say he didn't have that great of a game. I mean, Brendan Anderson didn't have that great of a game. Christian Pulisic didn't have that great of a game. You know, it was okay. But yet the whole was an incredible performance.
0: It's I've been listening to people all over and they'd say who was the best player. And I've heard different answers. Cause to your point, everyone carried their weight. And there isn't a right answer. I mean, maybe I mean I I've thought about it and I would think because over two games and the, the position he was playing, and the unexpected nature of how good he was because of playing a six, which he's played before. I would put Eunice Moose on that list, but I've heard Balogun. I've heard Reyna. Reyna would have probably been my choice if he finished the second game, but he was, I mean, he, he was good. He was good in the first game. A few times where he was dropping back, which kind of, kind of annoyed me. It was I thought positionally he was, in, he was out of position a couple times, not a lot, still very good. But the first half of the second game, he was, Best player on the field. And then Chris Richards, who was consistent. Christian Pulisic, who was insane in the first game. Uh, Tim Weah, no one talks about it, was really good. But it, it's it, it's that collective makes them, you know, I mean, was, it, was there one guy that stood out to you maybe? I don't
1: know. I mean, we haven't a hard mentioned one. the name Joe Scally yet. And I know. all he did was come in and start against the best left back in the world world and just put in an absolute shift didn't shut him
0: down didn't i mean he got burned a few times but But you you know what's great about that is that he he did it and he he kind of faded at the end which you i guess you can't it was just to be expected against a player of that quality but he just he just died out there until he had nothing left and that quality was awesome I,
1: i don't know who i would pin as the as the best player i know i know i i agree with you in that after the mexico game um i i was talking about how you felt like Gio Reyna; he had an okay game, but he had so much more in him. Like you could tell, yeah, you could tell who on the field uh, pl- played a lot in the last uh, World Cup qualifying cycle, um, and who had that um, that rhythm together, and who who didn't. And then in the second game, it only took one game for Reyna and Balagun to just like click with this squad and, and just uh, fall into place like that. I, I mean, Reyna would absolutely deserve a shout. I mean, Musa over the two games, Chris Richards over the two games was phenomenal um any one of those guys I, I i were were the best performers and and at the same time you have someone like um like uh like Tim Weah, who maybe wasn't the best player on the field for either game but was so important was just so threatening i mean um in that second game against canada uh, most of our attacks were we we didn't really build from the back we hit it long and most of those long balls were to Tim Wea and he went up and fought and uh, allowed us to get those second balls um, I, I believe it was the second goal uh, that Balogun scored. It was a, a long ball from Turner up to Wea, and he heads it down. And after a little scrum there, Gio Reyna emerges with the ball and is is right at the uh, Canada back line. And and that's what Tim Wea brings to the table. He's one of the taller guys out there in the attack, uh, one of the faster guys. Um, he deserves a lot of credit here too, even though he's not one of the the ones who I would say had the best game. So it was just all around an incredible performance.
0: I would put Serginio desk except he got a red card, but he was insane yeah. in that Mexico game. It's, it's insane. It's insane. I mean, to me, he was the best player until he got red carded in that game.
1: Weston but... McKinney was phenomenal in that game as well. <laughs> I mean, he was all over the place.
0: I wish we could play with 14 guys. I think we could win a World Cup, Sam. <laughs> Not with 18. I don't think we'd have the imagine. 14's the is the sweet spot. Fourteen,
1: Yeah, I'd say that.
0: <laughs> I'm going to bring up Greg Berhalter, but there's a practical reason um, to do it. Uh, from my perspective... And I know people are upset that maybe Gio Reyna didn't play in 2022. I will stick to my guns and said he wasn't ready. He looked, he was being a, he was being a little bit of a punk, you know, prior to being told that he wasn't going to play. He was, he wasn't the happiest camper there, and he didn't play. In, I don't think he. If it was different, I think I would like to seen him play more. But he looks a different player. He looks like you know he's been through hell and high water. He obviously did with the situation with his parents. He looks like a man compared to a young man back in uh, December. Um, this team overall, when I, I I was talking to people, I go, Gio Reyna is so different. Remember that this El Salvador game, the firework went off and he freaked out. Yeah. I go, that would never happen to Gio Reyna. But all of them are a seasoned team. They look like the how we always dreamt of it. Go to the World Cup in 2022, have a nice tournament, which they did, build up towards 2026. We are seeing that. I'm going to ask you two questions here. How much credit do we give Greg Berhalter for that? Or is it the fact that he's not there? Do you think that maybe these players clicked? I mean, I'm going, I'm basing on the the former because the players have come out and spoken on Greg Berhalter's behalf. And that's part of why he got in there. But is that part of what they saw? And with Gio Reyna, with Berhalter returning, hard to imagine him not in the lineup. I love the fact that we could get you out wide but we can get you in the middle. It messed with Mexico and Canada. They were like, we don't know where the, where it's coming from. So it was a beautiful wrinkle. But some people are worried they might go back to that the old 4-3-3. But with all that data we have, and the fact that these are assistants of Greg Berhalter in charge, do you think we will see this team with Greg Berhalter in charge um, playing in a similar way that we saw under B.J. Callahan?
1: Uh, that was a loaded double question, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the first question, I would say um, – my take has is, is always been that uh, we overrate the importance of the coach tremendously. There you we go. We attribute a lot to the coach that I just don't know that the coach necessarily deserves. Um, all the, uh, the analytics and the uh, researchers who look into uh, the, the impact of, of coaches on different sports – come back and say just it's really difficult to measure the impact of the coach. And uh, what we found is that there's not a tremendous amount of difference between coach a and coach B. Uh, I think that the, the U S men's national team looks as good as it does right now because we are producing bet the best players that we've ever produced and they're coming of age. I mean, they were uh, Gio Reyna was 18 years old, uh, two years ago, Christian Pulisic was 22. You know, they're, they're a little bit older now. They've been through World Cup qualifying. They've got two years of playing together and uh coming together with with a system and like understanding each other. I think that uh is the reason why they are playing better now than they did uh two years ago. Um, I, I think they're just all better players, and we've got more better players available uh with, with guys like, I mean, guys that we didn't have in, in uh, at the start of the cycle um when Greg Berhalter took over are guys like um Eunice Musa and um, I, I'm kind of blanking on all of them, but certainly, uh, for Balogun, uh, Joe Scally wasn't one of the ones at that point. Um, at that point Anthony Robinson hadn't put in a really good shift for the U S men's national team. I mean, there was a lot of these guys that just weren't even in the picture that are now uh huge parts of the group. And, and I think that's going to continue moving forward. Uh, now the second part of the question, do I expect it to continue? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, Greg with with Gio Reyna
0: maybe in that in in, in yeah. that role.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I I think that Greg Berhalter has been painted as like the super rigid guy that that uh, only had one tactical setup and and didn't really have a lot of nuance. But I mean, if you look at any of the tape or like read any of the articles by people who actually know what they're talking about, whenever it comes to tactics, actually look at the film. Like the U.S. put out different tactical nuances and and did different things um, throughout Greg's tenure. I mean, it moved around a lot. I mean, the the difference between the way we played um, tactically uh, against um, Japan and Saudi Arabia leading up and and those two friendlies leading up to the World Cup versus how we played against Wales, how we played against England, how we played against Netherlands, like there was differences all the way in between. Um, As far as how I think Gio Reyna is going to be deployed, I think he showed uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that he can play in that midfield. Though at the same time, I think... I think whenever you watch Gio Reyna play at Dortmund, if he's playing as a winger, he's pretty much operating in the half spaces and kind of keeping the game in front of him. If you put him in the midfield, he's kind of operating in the half spaces and kind of keeping the game in front of him. Like, There's not a tremendous amount of difference in the way that he plays because it's in his DNA, regardless of whether you put him at wing or whether you put him in the midfield. I remember... Um, in the last cycle, one of the few games that Gio played in World Cup qualifying was that home game to Panama in Orlando. Whenever the U.S. actually clinched um, the the World Cup qualifying berth, Gio was uh, nominally slated as a winger. But if you go back and look at the film in the game, he was like operating in a left back position for a lot. He would like drift into that area because whenever we're in possession, he just wants the ball and he wants the, the game in front of him. He wants to dictate. So I, I don't think that um, where Gio plays is as big a concern as, as kind of everybody's making it out to be. I think he's more or less going to take up that same role regardless of where he plays. And, and the formation, of course, I mean, if you know anything about tactics, the formations change whether you're in the buildup phase or whether you're in a pressing phase or whatever, whether you're in a defensive phase. Uh, so it, it's it all comes down to kind of where the guys are supposed to be in these different phases of the game. Uh, so I, I don't think it's as big a deal as everybody's making it out to be. I think that Greg is going to put Gio in the midfield if the game plan calls for it. Um, I, I think that we're all kind of worrying about a whole lot of nothing right now.
0: <laughs> people will get up in if air if, we, if like we roll around in the next big game, of, which is going to be the end of summer, and everyone comes together, and Gio is not in that lineup. Oh, we'll- people swear –
1: Greg's not going to call up Gio. He's going to call up Christian. No, Roldan in Sicily, no, in his place. Like, he's not That's here,
0: excessive. He's not. That is excessive. But you're you're to your point about the coaches. And I, I've always said this about national team coaches. And I think Greg Berhalter is thinking that too, trying to simplify it because you're not with these guys all the time. And, uh, but there are some nuances, which I know was a criticism that made it a little bit confusing, but you, you play a certain style and you hope those players could do it. And the, the good teams are the ones that find success. once they're given a blueprint by that, that coach. You know, um, uh, I think Lionel Scaloni did that. He said, this is where we're going to put Messi. You guys have to support him here, and we can make it work. And then he found the right pieces there. It wasn't a tactical shift. It was a personnel shift, which I think got Argentina. And uh, Didier de the same way. It's not – you don't see France in their swashbuckling best, but it's a system that works. But, and, yeah, uh, but
1: at the same time with Argentina, I mean, you have your system, and then Messi's going to find the ball wherever he wants. Yes. He's going to go wherever he wants, and he's going to create. And – in the World Cup, he happened to catch fire and just he turned in some of the great performances of our time in order to to win that tournament. It's not like it came down to um, this this great tactical thinker on the sideline that was drawing up these all these diagrams. No, give the ball I, to messi I could coach that.
0: Give the ball to Messi. Yeah. That's it. No, that's it. That's, that's it. Move along. That's it,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> But, I, but there's those little simple things. But I I I agree with you, and it's going to come down to the players. But we're so excited about this group because you can see them getting it. They enjoy each other's company. I mean, we we waited to see how Flo Baligan was going to adjust, and he's he looks happy as a as a clam. I mean, he looks like he was meant to be there from the beginning. We saw that with Musa. We saw that with all these other players, uh, Ricardo Pepe, That um, despite not making the World Cup, they really enjoy each other's i mean peppy had an impact too although in a smaller one in the canada game but certainly worth the while do you let's uh, have a little fun here and make let's say copa america is here that's the next big tournament of which i think the u.s is going to be very competitive i think the i think most people are setting the goal at the semi-final i think they can make it there based on they're going to get a favorable group but the only brazil and argentina are the one teams you have to be scared of uruguay ecuador colombia i think the u.s can kind of compete in that space so we'll see maybe there's an upset and messi's going to be another year older let's make a little starting 11 based on what here let's see if we can agree because i think it's there's a couple loose ends that i'm curious of so um you just tell me what you think of mine and you fill the gaps if you need to change them
1: well who are we playing i mean are we okay let's say
0: we're playing we're starting with paraguay in our opener
1: Okay, okay. Okay, let's go. Like we have the Paraguay,
0: different... um, Ecuador, and uh, let's say uh, Canada. Maybe we have another CONCACAF team. Okay. Right? Remember that if that's our group. Paraguay, Ecuador, Canada. We're starting with Paraguay. Okay. Okay. Matt Turner in goal. Agreed. Backline, left back, Jedi. Nope. We Agreed there. Yeah, absolutely. Dest on the right, or do we see a Scali revival?
1: A uh, Dest.
0: Dest. Chris Richards, one center back. Sure. Okay. Now the other center back. I was going to throw in Tim Ream, but he's going to be a bit older. But yeah, I, we, I mean, we have some. Miles Robinson was very good. Walker Zimmerman yeah. was very good. There's some Cameron guys coming Carter from is Cameron out there. Carter- That's Vichers. another
1: shout people have. I mean, Mark McKenzie came off of a very good season in Belgium. So
0: do we play with three in the back? In
1: the <laughs> I don't think you play a three in the back. No. I mean, I I think this is a position like we. This is the position where it's it's really up. Uh, um, up in the air. Uh, what do you want out of that position? Do you want somebody who's going to be able to possess the ball and find passes? Well, then Tim Reams, your guy, um, as long as his legs don't fall off in the
0: next year, um, which you could want happen more- I, yeah. I, as a man as someone who's gotten old. You don't have to worry about yeah. this, Sam. It is all true. Once you start getting older out of the blue, your your body just stops. So it could happen <laughs> well, uh- with Tim
1: let's see if you want more of an athlete miles Robinson is probably your guy at this moment though maybe CCV can be that as well though CCV is not going to be as good in the air as miles Robinson I'm not I I don't have a um a strong opinion on who that other center back is (laughs) as long as they're playing next to Chris Richards
0: okay there you go we'll put in miles Robinson we'll go athletic okay uh the midfield, this is where it's, it's, oh, it's pretty Oh, this is where it's it crazy. <laughs> now, Tyler Adams, I mean, I don't think you you, you throw a baby out with bathwater, despite as good as this looked, I think he still has a spot. And I think he could be even more secure defensively, even though they didn't allow a goal in these two games in the Nations League. I mean, their defensive record is insane. It's incredible. Insane. Going back to the World Cup, they just don't give up goals. It's something
1: nobody gives them credit for, really. But the U.S. doesn't even give... Uh, opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Up. They, they don't give up clean looks. And, and if they did, Matt is a phenomenal shot stopper. So the, the the defense for the U.S. men's national team has never really been the problem.
0: No. I'm going to go with – I'm going to bring Tyler back. I'm going to put Eunice just a, a tad above him, and I'm going to put Geo kind of free roll on the left. That would mean Weston McKinney moves to the bench.
1: Yeah, I mean, gosh, what do you do there? I feel like <laughs> – me i i'm i'm starting tyler and musa i'm sorry i'm starting tyler and weston i feel like uh weston just gives you so much because um unlike musa and tyler weston has the ability to unlock a game with a pass um so he has that he also has the relentless box to box but you also get his aerial ability on set pieces uh both offensively and defensively uh, so I think just because he's such a physical specimen and is also one of our better deep line playmakers, I, I think I, I stick him in there. But that's another one where I mean, who's who's hot at the moment?
0: <laughs> so we could still put Gio at the top, but I was going to say yeah. Polisic, Weah, Baligan. I just don't you don't mess with that. They 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 look like three equal parts of just a front three that can do just about everything. By the way, the thing with Gio too. Man, the set pieces were really good with him the taking set pieces.
1: it. And his defense was good. Yeah. He defended well. He put in tackles. He harried people. I like he, how your I voice mean,
0: went up high there. That got you excited, Sam.
1: I was surprised. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think that he had that in his game, but he absolutely did. Now, this shifts because we're playing Paraguay. If we're playing Brazil, <laughs> if we're playing Brazil. We may play I,
0: Brazil. We could face them in these semis.
1: Yeah, I think I think go MMA. At in that my game.
0: bracket. MMA. Okay.
1: I, MMA. I, go MMA and I, I put Reina in for uh, for Weya. I think I dropped
0: Waya at that Ooh. point with these options. We don't deserve this, man. <laughs> we don't deserve. I don't know where it came from. It's just not yeah. just the talent, but the fact they came together. I know I don't want to be prisoner of the moment, but they came together for this tournament and we thought, all right, they're going to grind against Mexico. I mean, I was watching it on do the Everyone was saying Mexico was going to win. I understand that. I mean, they're but that was even close. Canada wasn't close. we got Diego Coca fired we might get John Herdman fired the way we're going I don't want anyone fired
1: (laughs) whenever I saw the um the the roster that Mexico was bringing into this tournament I was like what are they going to do against this yeah what's the plan how are they going to score like none of these guys are scary um on on, in the attack uh their their midfield outside of Edson Alvarez is not very scary like what are their fullbacks going to do against Wea and Polisic? And I think we saw what their fullbacks were going to do against Polisic—very little. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a tough spot for Mexico, and, and especially if you consider uh what the next five years looks like for them because they just don't have the uh the 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 players, the prospects at the moment that are going to come behind and 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 fill in these gaps. Uh, the I mean, who who's exciting uh, young players from Mexico right now? I mean, where are they at?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is what we did in 2017. ago where are our players? They came, and they're there for Mexico, but it takes this process of uh, of empowering them. And by the way, all these dual nationals that not all of them came to the U.S., but I'm, I would imagine the ones that went to Mexico are probably second guessing their decisions, even though they probably have a better chance of playing there. We saw um, uh, Julian Arajo there, yeah. so I mean, he's, these are guys that you'd rather play.
1: Yeah. But. I, I mean, I, I've always been a big Julian Araujo fan. I love his game. Um, though at this point, just after the performance that Scally put in against Canada, um, honestly, I think they'd both be in the team right now. <laughs> I think that Scally would be uh, left back and Julian Araujo would be the backup right back. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah, I, you, you look in the future and you know how many, um, Mexican Americans are in MLS academies right now. And you wonder how, how much of El Tri is going to be, uh, born and raised in the U S or, or at least, uh, come through MLS academies. Um, and, and what that's going to mean to the federation. I, I know that that's something they, they take a lot of pride in the fact that they, uh, produce their own players and, and they come from uh Liga Mackey's. And, uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a, if I was in FMF right now, I'd be a, a bit concerned, Oh, and they
0: are I, Yeah, they should be it's 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 uncomfortable hearing about that i feel bad i know it's weird to say it about mexico but i feel bad was... i want them to be well because i don't want empty stadiums yeah, you, need, saw stadium. yeah mean, after, after the, you saw the stadium yeah
1: i mean after after you saw the It decimated you, two
0: yeah. games it decimated the third place game and the final attendance wise
1: yeah. with that half empty stadium which is something that we just never see in for uh, uh mexico playing in the united states especially in a in a place like las vegas which is uh, not that far away from Mexico, uh, that's a statement. I mean, yeah. that is a statement to the federation that things need to change. And it's not a surprise that the coach got fired uh, immediately after that, considering that statement from the fans. Uh, but I, I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you mentioned the MLS academies. They, they, the league deserves some credit here because you look at these players, they're playing in Europe, but you know, more than half got a start there, right? I mean, more than half were able to, yeah even going to Gio Rain and Joe Scal in New York City, the FC Dallas guys, um Brendan Aronson in Philadelphia, I mean, these are th- that's a good sign. there's a there has to be a belief that that pipeline will continue.
1: oh yeah, I, I forget who uh tweeted it out there, but one of the uh, one of the reporters out there tweeted that the difference in prospect and player being um being uh created from the the u s. Before 2007, whenever the U.S. uh, Development Academies were created and after 2007, um, it's just a stark difference. I mean, there is a line in the sand that you can trace uh, for the groups that were able to come through those academies. And and the earliest ones that really got the benefit of coming through the academies that weren't too old whenever the academies opened are guys like Tyler Adams and Christian Pulisic and uh, Weston McKinney. And, you know, the guys a generation prior to that or even a few years prior to that, guys like uh, guys like DeAndre Yedlin and Kellen Acosta that, you know, are good players in their own right, but just don't look like anything like the guys who have come after them. You can see that clear line in the stand um, for prospects in the United States and and just seeing um, the U-20 camp now and just if you happen to uh, be able to check out any of like the MLS next games or anything like that. You can see that these players are just flat out different than they were uh, a decade ago. I mean, their tactical understanding, their technical ability, they're coming out just better products than they were before. And I think you can look across MLS and uh, there's a bunch of young kids now who are still uh, who, who are like that next wave. Um, there was players in, in the U20 camp, but there's also players who weren't in that U20 camp, like Noel Buck, who's just really exciting right now.
0: Yeah, they explode out of nowhere, really. They, yeah, you, and they're, they're going to out
1: at a young age. I mean, Paxson, Aronson, uh, Kevin Paredes are in the Bundesliga right now. Uh, those guys could have breakthrough seasons. Uh, it's just it's a conveyor belt that is happening that it's, it's, you can't ignore. And, and if you understand that our best guys are 24 years old and you kind of like trace back or, or trace forward, you can start to think like, all right, so that first wave of guys by 2030, you're going to be in their 30. So that means we're going to have uh, another, just four more generations of players to come through. And that's when we're really going to start to be able to think like, are we going to be able to break into the top eight, the top four, the top national teams in the
0: world. We're in a good spot. So enjoy it, everybody. Enjoy it. Ch- cherish this, these last couple of days. Great chatting with Sam Stokes of Yank Report. Check him out on YouTube uh, and enjoy the Gold Cup. Do we get another trophy? Why not? I don't, yes. I haven't seen <laughs> what teams the uh, everybody's bringing. Um, not great. If,
1: if Canada is not bringing their Euro guys and Mexico I mean, this Mexico
0: team is not. People are jumping right. off the ship, man.
1: I think I think this this Gold Cup team is really good, man. You yeah. You start looking at it top to bottom. If Miles Robinson is able to go, which is a question mark, I don't know, but he's he's a phenomenal defender, and you've got uh, just just a strong spine to that team. You look at the attack with Brandon Vasquez and Jesus Ferrera, what they're doing. Um, in MLS right now I mean Jordan Morris and uh, Alejandro Zendejas are, are not slouches as attackers uh, Jordi Mihailovic could be running the show um, as in that sort of Gio Reyna role you got Sonora who is kind of sort of on the on the national team but hasn't really been getting appearances there's some there's some really good players in this yeah. U.S. Gold cup squad I'm excited to see what they can do
0: He's locking in another trophy, everyone. Sam Stokes, Yank Report. <laughs> Sam, I always enjoy chatting with you, man. Uh, and I get to learn a few more things. So I appreciate your time and your expertise. And enjoy uh, enjoy your summer. Thank you so much, Max. All right. That is Sam Stokes, the Yank Report. We're going to be back. Talk a little Mexico with uh, Mauricio Pedrosa of ESPN. That's next on the Soccer OG. Business End Part Two. We're going to get a Mexican perspective, which was really interesting for a lot of different reasons than we saw with the United States. So, my good friend Maricio Pedrosa uh who's not just doing, you're doing football, Americas. You're still with Herc as well. so Sadly, I mean, yes.
2: Sadly, I mean, that guy. Man's got to pay the bills. So, you know, as we say in Spanish, es la cruz que tengo que cargar.
0: <laughs> we I got to carry love,
2: that weight anyway. We both any, love any, her but we
0: can both agree he's a pain in the rear. Oh, no uh, doubt.
2: I mean, everybody knows that.
0: That's yeah, just me we, and you. I love arguing with him. You love arguing with him. By the way, it's great. It's it's great to watch it when you guys go at it. But to, you've, it, it, we don't get that enough. I miss it because yeah. part of this whole Mexico demise, the, the entertaining quality is turning on Football Picante or Línea de Cuarto or Tuden or Televisan and just seeing a funeral procession. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, I don't want to make light of it, but it's 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 great tv because you see i mean it's 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 very uncomfortable for those reasons
2: well in a good way drama sell better than comedies right yes so i'm not gonna say who but i used to uh, co-host a radio show uh and and i remember this was when juan carlos osorio was the manager and his first two years were amazing right i think he was he was winning like 75 percent of the games and he said he said we just need him to lose just the one game for content right and the game he lost was that uh, 7-0 to chile in the copa america and it's been it's been downhill ever since so yeah i mean drama's fine but yeah i mean it's not not really great times to be a mexican national team fan
0: no uh well i would talk about the team but i mean the the the, the latest news was diego coca which didn't surprise me and I don't think he should have been fired this early. He probably shouldn't have been hired in the first place. But uh, it was a it was a mismatch. So, I, I mean, I would have, you know, this is on FMFA. And th- it was their appointment. It's just a square hole in a round peg, however you want to call it. Uh, I was watching some of the shows and they were calling him. Are you happy, Mexico? This is your sacrificial lamb. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, that is, uh, yeah. they wanted a head. A, a severed head, and they they got it. But it doesn't really fix things. But um, four months, seven games, games—it's it stinks. But I think it was the right decision. To, this is, you know, after what happened with Tata Martino. They don't want egg on their face.
2: No, not at all. Um, and here's, here's the problem. The people in charge of making the decisions are not the same people that hired Diego Coca in the first place. So the process was really uh, very poor executed. So his his former bosses, right, the people that appointed him as a manager, um, Jaime Ordiales, Rodrigo Ares de Parga, uh, John de Luisa, was a former president. They're no they're no longer there. So Diego Coca was never the guy of the people in charge. So he knew he was coaching for his job against the US. He knew that. And I think the players also knew that. And I think it was just a matter of time. Uh the new the new regime was just waiting for one excuse to get rid of him. And what better excuse than one of the worst trashings against your bitter rival? So he he was dead man walking in Vegas. I don't I don't find another
0: way to put it. And and not really with the support of the players. Is that fair? Because some of them wanted to get out of the gold cup. It was. It's really where we've seen that with Greg Berhalter and the U.S. players. Uh, exact opposite, maybe with Coca.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I honestly, Max, I believe he's uh, firing. Doesn't happen without the approval of certain players. Mm. Um, I, I want to say I know this for a fact. I don't. Uh, this this is not sourced or anything. But I mean, but one, I thing discovered, one
0: thing we've discovered—one thing we discovered from on both sides of the borders—is the players' opinions really matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They
2: oh, do. oh, oh, my God! Well, you—you you saw a lot of players having Greg Berhalter's back. I never heard one player mm. during this time saying, "Listen, things with Diego Coca are amazing. It's on us. We want to make this better." No, you never heard that. I was completely the opposite. You had two players leaking it to the press that they wanted to leave. Imagine, imagine, you know this, being a part of a national team is one of the greatest honors for every athlete, right? Representing your country should be the highest honor. And you had at least two players that made it public that they wanted to leave because they did not feel that this was going well, Uh, which I also don't agree with. But I see where they're coming from. But... Yeah, I mean, I 100% believe that this doesn't happen without Guillermo Choa's approval, without Edson Alvarez's approval. And listen, uh yeah, it it feels like seven games is a short period of time to evaluate someone's job, but things that start bad usually finish uh worse, and I think <laughs> this was the case.
0: Uh it's uh I mean, looking at the game really quickly, do you um do you uh is that rate is one of the worst? I mean, to me, I'm trying to think of worst losses. Obviously, the worst loss for Mexico against the U.S. was the 2002 World Cup, yeah. which the U.S. won pretty convincingly, even though it was 2-0. Yeah. But it's been 2-0. This was 3-0, 3-0, and it felt like it could have been more. I mean, I'm thinking, I mean, I, I remember a couple of Gold Cup finals where Mexico just trounced the U.S. where you're like, oh, man, there's a big gap. But this is the first time I felt it, a big gap. Mm talent-wise, on the playing field. I mean, the, the 2002 World Cup was a, 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 an indicator of, of great spirit, and we caught Mexico on a bad day, and we got under their skin. But this was um, men and boys in many ways.
2: Yeah, I th- I mean, I think the first, thing, uh, the first 15 minutes were okay for Mexico. Uh, they were able to hold the ball for longer spells. I'm not saying they dominated because they didn't, but it felt like the game was going at the pace and the way they intended to, but after that first first time, uh, this long run by Christian Pulisic leaving Edson Alvarez behind, uh, dragging Memo Choa. It's unbelievable how that play did not uh, did not end up as a goal. That was a bad miss by Christian Pulisic. But from then on, you could tell that the that the U.S. Men's National Team was very very comfortable with their game plan, and I think they realized Mexico's game plan was not going to hurt them. And he was not gonna hurt them because it was a game plan designed not to lose. Again, because Diego Coca knew he was coaching for his job. And I don't know if you listened to the now to the new president of the Mexican Federation on uh Monday morning when he basically fired Diego Coca. And he was, I mean, he 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 held no grudges. He was very, very specific by saying it's not just that we lost the game, it's how we lost, how we lost that did and it to lose a game. But you have to play to win. And that's that was, I mean, I believe that was the game plan, but at least they didn't show. So um, yeah, it was it was bad, man. Bad, bad, bad. The team didn't put they didn't really put up a fight. And when they fought, they fought with their fists. Uh they yeah, were not it,
0: really that, competitive. that's a sign. That's a sign that's that, a that sign. it's gotten away, right? Use
2: control is a sign, and 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 you could tell that they were very frustrated with themselves, very frustrated with the coaching staff. And from then on, it was just Batman. I was, let me tell you this. The way I described that night, that game was embarrassing. Yeah. You can be sad, you can be hurt by a loss, but this was embarrassing. And yeah. embarrassment is not, it's not acceptable.
0: No. Now, I want Mexico, I don't want Mexico to slide down. And I was proven correct by what we saw on Sunday mm-hmm. because if CONCACAF wants to be successful, if the U.S. wants to be successful, Mexico has to be successful. I was at LAFC training, and I saw Marco got yep. we was with, with Bachuca, now with LAFC, yep. and I'm like, I'm telling him that. And he's like, you know, he goes, if you're Batman, you need the Joker. Uh, that's how it yep. works. You need a proper rival, and if you don't have it, it suffers. So we saw no one at the third-place game, a a loosely attended championship game which was on the U.S and I mean really on the U.S to get more seats there and that's on U.S soccer but we're not there yet for the excitement to be palpable and it's the excitement's still there because Mexico's in a bad way and, and the, their media is pumping stuff out and it's fascinating but I want Mexico to do well maybe not against yeah. the U.S but I want them to do well how does Mexico get back because we saw the U.S I was talking to my last guest we saw the U.S in 2017 miss a World Cup and slowly, in development, got back. Yeah. How and do, does Mexico find that talent? We know it's there. Uh, how do
2: they get it? Well, I think that's one of the that's one of the bigger problems because I feel one of the advantages that the U.S. men's national team has over Mexico is that they do have a plan to find that talent at a very young age. Now, you want to have fifty guys at age 16 and develop them so you can have one generation that's gonna play together under one system, one idea. And if you do that, then you're gonna be successful. That has always been the key for teams like Argentina, Brazil, Spain, right? Same team works together for two or three different uh, under 17, under 20 World Cups Olympic games. Now, I believe that the scouting element of this equation, has really let Mexican soccer down. We are finding talent, but not as much as we used to. And once you got that talent, the process, you have changed so many times, coaches, managers, executives, that there's no one idea that these players can develop under for six, seven years. And those years between 14 and 20 are crucial in a development of a professional soccer player. I think that's where the problem starts. Now, is it fixable? Yes, because it's been proven that the country has talent. But when the system is right and the talent is very well developed, then you'll see success. Uh, I think this U.S. domination over Mexico will last at least another two years. I hope Jimmy Lozano, the new now interim manager, gets that tag removed and stays put uh, because he knows how to work with the younger players, and he has already proven to be successful. He won the bronze medal at the, the Tokyo Olympics with this core of players. That now he will coach at the senior level at the Gold Cup. So, but that takes time. That takes time. What I think plays in his favor is that his appointment, unlike Coca's appointment, is very much accepted and approved by everyone.
0: Yeah, I like how you said. Two more years of dominance, not three. Oh. Very, yeah. very, uh, no. very stupid. targeted not stupid <laughs> hey the good news were both countries are going to the world cup and they're yeah, gonna yeah, yeah. no qualifiers to well. i love and that. like i said man i want mexico to do well because there's a dollar sign attached this the gold cup in the nation's league and Concacaf sure. suffers without a competitive uh uh mexico and Mauricio pedrosa of espn i appreciate your time man espn deportes uh, i know you have to do another show i'm glad you were able to slip slip us in here for a few minutes beforehand
2: Hey, uh, I was already wondering when you were going to have me back. It's been a while.
0: I will have you back every week. It's like I I I try to.
2: I'm subscribed to your YouTube channel. I check out your content and you're my friend, which is the most important thing. I consider you a friend. Uh, And I love you, man. I love your content. I I know. I know everything. You've done a lot for soccer in this country. Uh, Thanks, man. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be included in this kind of conversation.
0: Well, this was a short amount. I'd love to have you back for a longer discussion, yeah, maybe later we'll this do. summer, because once, I think-
2: Once we win the Gold Cup, end of July, you'll have I you know. Pe- <laughs> I know people
0: enjoy the show because of the friends that I get to call on, great voices like Mauricio Pedrosa. Mauricio, thanks for joining me here in the on the Business and on the Soccer OG. That'll put a bow on it. Still so much to talk about what happened in Las Vegas. Talk amongst yourselves. We'll be back and see where it goes as we get ready for the Gold Cup. Until we see you then, plácido Domingo.